Hey, this is Brandon Emma Richardson, and we are the pastors here at Slate Church based in Waterloo, Ontario, and this is our Sunday podcast. We really hope this message inspires you to lean into all that God has for you. If you would like to get connected with us, follow us on social media or go to slatechurch.com. And hey, it helps us a lot if you would rate, review, subscribe, and share this podcast. Join us for today's message. Well, hey guys, uh, thanks Pastor Brandon. Um, As was mentioned, my name is Nate, and alongside my wife Emily, we are online and expansion pastors here at Slate Church. So it's really cool. We get to work with our online community. We get to work with uh, our our Elmira location, some of our Locals Plus happening in Coburg and Cambridge, Uh, do a bunch of really cool stuff with all of these different groups. Uh, And I'm kind of excited because this is like our fully online Sunday. So I feel like everybody in all of our Waterloo locations, our Elmira locations, we're all joining the party already here online. Uh, hopefully just had a really, really wonderful Christmas season, spending time with our families, uh, getting some presents, hanging out. Um, I, yeah, I really hope that you've had a very, very Merry Christmas. Uh, and whenever you're watching this, whether it's uh, in the morning with us on the 26th, uh, on demand throughout the week, I uh, just hope that this message can encourage us as we continue through this Christmas season. Um, all right, I'm going to be reading from Matthew the book of Matthew, chapter 2, verses 13 to 23. So last week, Pastor Brandon preached a message uh, on on the Magi uh, and kind of this uh, beginning of of chapter 2 of the book of Matthew, continuing the story of Jesus. Uh, He's probably like a couple years old at this point. The Magi come, they bring these gifts and stuff. Pastor Brandon unpacked all that last week. But there's this other narrative happening within that story where Herod, uh, uh, the king, the ruler, uh, who's a pretty like jacked up, messed up dude at that time, uh, he was uh, planning to kill Jesus. He heard about this king, he met the Magi, and he was very concerned by this. It was a threat to his power. If you study the history of King Herod at all, you will find out that whether you were his wife or his children or any other family member or just about anybody and you got in the way of his power, it was probably game over for you. So Jesus is a threat to his power. He hears about Jesus. The Magi conspire to help Jesus get away. And this is where we show up in the story in Matthew chapter 2, verses 13 to 23. It says, When they had gone, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream. The Magi, they've just left, and an angel appears to Joseph in a dream. And it might sound like to us, this is happening all the time for Joseph because it happened earlier when he found out about Jesus coming. It's going to happen even a little bit later again in this passage. But the reality is between all these dreams that Jesus had with, or Joseph had with angels showing up, there's like a few years between each of them. So it's not a regular occurrence, but it's something that is common for Joseph. It happens a few times in these key moments. So an angel appears to Joseph in a dream and says, get up, take the child and his mother and escape to Egypt. Stay there until I tell you, for Herod is going to search for the child and kill him. And so it says, so he gets this warning. It's really scary. It's pretty spooky. And it says, so he got up. Like in that moment, he got up. He didn't wait. He didn't delay. Like the angel came. He had this command from God. He had this uh, 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 warning from God. And immediately he was obedient. He acted upon it. Uh, Joseph in the Bible in Matthew is this uh, uh, example of faithfulness. And so immediately he acts upon it. He got up, he takes the child, Jesus, and his mother, Mary, during the night and left for Egypt, where he stayed until the death of Herod. 
and so was fulfilled what the Lord has said through the prophet, out of Egypt I called my son. We're going to get back to that in a couple minutes. We're going to dive into the prophecies, but the story continues. So we have uh, Joseph, they're getting up in the middle of the night. You can just imagine this like great escape. They're like sneaking out. They're flying out to Egypt, which was a, a country that would have made sense for them to go to. It was nearby, but it's outside of Herod's domain. Uh, it was uh, another Roman colony at this point, and it had a large Jewish community that they would have been able to uh, uh, find help and support within a large Hebrew community. And so they go to Egypt. We get a spoiler here that Herod's about to die and they're going to be able to come back. Um, but before that, uh, here we see what happens in verse 16. It says, when Herod realized that he had been outwitted by the Magi, he was furious and he gave orders to kill all the boys in Bethlehem and in its vicinity who were two years old and under in accordance with the time he had learned from the Magi. I just want to pause on that for a sec. This is dark. It's messed up. And what Herod does here, his strategy to try and stop this king from coming and usurping his power in Jesus is to just kill all the boys in the town of Bethlehem who would have been around the right age. And this is just like, such a terrible and powerful example of just the brokenness and desperation of humanity and some of the evil and darkness that can come out of us as people that we actually see here contrasted with the beauty and goodness of Jesus and the faithfulness of Joseph. So when Herod realized he had been outwitted by the Magi, he was furious. He gave orders to kill all the boys in Bethlehem and in its vicinity who were two years old and under. It's really dark, it's really sad, and it goes on. It says, Then what was said through the prophet Jeremiah was fulfilled. A voice is heard in Ramah, weeping in great mourning, Rachel weeping for her children and refusing to be comforted because they are no more. We'll continue reading. In verse 19, the story picks back up. It says, After Herod died, an angel of the Lord appeared in a dream to Joseph in Egypt and said, Get up. Take the child and his mother and go to the land of Israel, for those who were trying to take the child's life are dead. So he got up, took the child and his mother, and went to the land of Israel. But when he heard the, that Archelaus, 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 the Archelaus, no, not the Archelaus, uh, Archelaus, Archelaus, we're going to go with Archelaus, uh, was reigning in Judea in place of his father Herod, he was afraid to go there. Having been warned in a dream, he withdrew to the district of Galilee, and he went and lived in a town called Nazareth. So was fulfilled what was said through the prophets that he would be called a Nazarene. Let's pray, and then we're going to unpack this story a bit more. God, I just thank you so much for the opportunity, um, honestly, that you've given me to be speaking to our community today. Um, I just thank you right now for Pastor Brandon and Pastor Emma and just for their faithfulness and the ways that you've worked through them in building this church, Lord God. Uh, and just that, honestly, so many beautiful things are happening within this community. Just seeing the sacrifice and love that people have for one another, the ways that people have even been supporting and caring for and celebrating with each other over this Christmas season and celebrating you, Lord God. It's wonderful to see. 
I just pray right now as we continue in our study of the book of Matthew, as we continue breaking down uh, what's happening here in chapter two, Lord God, that you would just speak through me, that it would be your spirit, not my words, Lord God, that you would actually just move in the hearts and minds of anybody listening to this, Lord, that you would just stir something in our spirits. You would just uh, open things up in our minds, Lord God. You would just give us new wisdom, new understanding, and new convictions, Lord God, new ways of living out our lives, of seeing the world around us, Lord, as we immerse ourselves in the story of you, of you with flesh on as a child, Lord God, as we immerse ourselves in the stories, we see the brokenness of humanity and the beauty of your love. I just pray that you would draw us closer to you. In your name, amen. Amen. All right, we're going to jump back into this story. But first, I have a bit of a story of my own. Um, story is one word for it. A confession might be a better way of putting it. Um, as I was prepping for this message, uh, I had a dentist appointment in my hometown of Brantford, uh, the Dirty Bee. We're going to be getting back to that later. Uh, I had a dentist appointment in my hometown of Brantford, and as I was driving back, my game plan was to be thinking through this message, to be processing through what I was going to be saying today, kind of planning and preparing for this, uh, really immersing myself in this story uh, of what's happening here, of what God's doing, all this stuff. And I'll be honest, I got a little bit distracted. And instead of doing that, which was my game plan, most of my drive back home uh, this morning was spent thinking about how I could sell my iPhone and use some combination of like deals that a phone company had in place and the money from selling my iPhone to finesse my way into getting an Apple Watch. That is like most of what I was thinking about on the way home today. And honestly, I'm going to blame Tim Hutchison for this a little bit. Uh, if you know Tim, he's wonderful. He helped. Uh, he, he was really like the creative force behind the testimony video with Pastor Brandon we saw a few weeks ago. He's a wonderful guy uh, and an amazing part of our church. And he and I have been playing a bit of squash lately. And I'm just like so jealous after we play. And he's like looking at the way his rings are filling up on his watch, like his Apple Health rings. And like Apple has these rings to track like how you're progressing towards your fitness goals. And it just looks so cool. And I'm like, I want rings of my own. I want to get an Apple Watch. I'm feeling a little bit of jealousy. I want on it. I'm trying to like process through and finesse like how I can like find the best phone deal and sell my phone and figure this all out and all this stuff and I was getting distracted with it and I think this story is frankly an example of like where our heads go at Christmas quite a bit like Christmas time supposed to be like it's a celebration of Jesus it's kind of supposed to be the idea but I think so often over this Christmas season we end up just focusing on how we're celebrating and honoring ourselves you know, I think there's this element over this time of year where we can slip into like focusing on what we're getting or even what we're receiving, what we're consuming, what we're buying, what's going to fulfill our desires and make us feel special and unique. What can we buy in order to boost up our identity? Oh, I'm an Apple Watch user. What can we, uh, what can we purchase or what can we buy for somebody else that's going to um, um, actually just like convey our love to them properly? And I'm not against gift giving and, and I'm not against even getting an Apple Watch. I still might be doing that. Um, but I think there's a problem in our society where Christmas is no longer Christmas, Christ Christmas, but it's more like I miss. And I'm not just saying that because like I was looking at an Apple product, but if you actually break it down, like Christmas is like, comes from this idea of like Christ and then mass, like a Catholic church gathering or um, 
a celebration of God or a reflection or an honoring of the divine. And I almost feel like there's an element where in our modern society, Christmas has become less about honoring the divine, honoring Jesus, honoring God, but actually has become more about honoring I, honoring ourselves, honoring humanity, and even at its best, honoring our human families which is great. Human family is important. That's a good thing. It can even be a godly thing in the right context, but all of this must flow from who God is, his character, and his story. And I really believe uh, here today that there's, that, that, like, there's, it's, it's good that not everything is about us. That's actually the title for today's message. It's not about you. It's not about me. It's not about us. And that statement is actually true about the Bible. See, there's a lot in the Bible about us. There's a lot in the Bible about humanity. There's a lot that we can learn and take from the Bible. Lots that can be applied to our lives from scripture. But the truth and the reality is the Bible is not about you. It's not about me. It's not about us. It is the story, not of humanity, but of divinity. It's a story about who God is. It's about his character and his love and what he has done for us. And so my hope today is that we can actually immerse ourselves in this story, that we can immerse ourselves in the narrative, the story of what's happening to Jesus in this text in Matthew, but also immerse ourselves in the meta-narrative, the story within the story that is uh, telling the whole, uh, that is showing how what's happening to Jesus in these moments and who Jesus was uh, and what he would eventually do on the cross and, and, and when he was resurrected, how that fits into this larger story arc, God's larger story arc, the divine story arc of all of scripture and how that can apply to our lives. My hope for us today is that we would immerse ourselves in this story. We take a couple minutes in the midst of a season that has become so much about consuming, so much about what we're getting, what we're eating, if we have the best Christmas lights or not, if we have the coolest stuff, if we look the most generous outwardly to other people, whatever it is, so much of this is about us in our society today. And I think there's something really powerful about us this week right after Christmas, pausing, stopping, reflecting, and immersing ourselves in the story of Jesus. And not just to get something out of it, not just treating this video message, this experience of church as another thing to consume, another place to show up and learn something about our, ourselves or learn something that can help make us better or more effective or get a better job or make more money or get a better car or be even a better spouse or, 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 or partner or, or child or whatever it is. And all that stuff's great. That stuff is great. And, and there's stuff in the Bible that we can learn and apply to all these different areas of life. But today I want to challenge us to lean in to focus on Jesus, focus on the divine story that we have in front of us, immerse ourselves in it, and trust that God is going to speak to us through his Holy Spirit when we center this story, not on ourselves, but on who God is. All right. With that in mind, I want to recap what's happened here. This is the story, and then we're going to move on to the story within the story. 
So here's the story. It's the escape to Egypt. We have Joseph. Angel shows up, middle of the night, gets up with the family. They flee. Then you have this example of Herod, who's like this example of human brokenness and evil in the world. And he kills a bunch of babies, probably estimate like 10 to 20 babies because Bethlehem was a small town, but still incredibly tragic. You have this terrible, tragic event and this brokenness in the midst of, uh, of, of Jesus coming to earth and Herod responding out of his sinful nature uh, to Jesus' presence killing these babies. Jesus is safe in Egypt. He comes back. And then you have this weird thing where it says he's going to go to Israel, but then uh, Archelaus was reigning in Judea, so they went to somewhere else. And basically what's happening there, there's a whole bunch of family drama in Herod's family. So when Herod died, he had like a bunch of kids with a bunch of different women. And so he ended up actually breaking up his kingdom into four. And so one of them in Judea, which is where Jerusalem was, and possibly even where Joseph thought Jesus should be raised, like Jerusalem, that's like the holy city. That's like, like, you know, that's where the Messiah should be raised. That's where the savior of the Jewish people should be raised. But he realizes he can't raise them there because Archelaus, the son who was uh, ruling over Judea, was like totally unhinged, just like his father, was already killing a bunch of different people. And so instead, they go to Nazareth. And so that's what we have here, this small backwater town of Nazareth, similar to my hometown of Brantford. It had a rep for being a little bit sketchy. So Jesus ends up growing there. That's the story. That's the narrative. And there's a lot we can pull out there. Jesus, the true king, in reflection of this, of this bad king and unhinged king in Herod, showing the dynamic between God's goodness and the brokenness of humanity. But I want to push us a level deeper and actually look at these three prophecies that are fulfilled within these passages. And this is something that we see all throughout the book of Matthew, where Matthew is writing to a Jewish audience, a Hebrew audience, and he's drawing on the story or the narratives uh, of, of their whole people and their whole nation. Uh, this story of them coming up out of Egypt, of being freed from slavery and brought into the promised land, which is like the ultimate testimony of God's faithfulness that they had as a people. He's drawing on the prophets and those uh, writers who had heard from God and written these warnings and encouragements to the people. And he's using all of this to show how Jesus fulfills the story of the Hebrew people, that he is the ultimate king, uh, he is the one, uh, he, he is the Messiah, he is the one that has come, and even though it looks different than they expected, their hope should be in him. And so I want to break these down. The first, it says, out of Egypt I call, it says, and so was fulfilled what the Lord had said through the prophet, out of Egypt I called my son. So this is when uh, uh, Jesus goes and he heads out to Egypt. Matthew's noting here that out of Egypt I called my son, is it's fulfilling that prophecy. And where that comes from is in Hosea 11, 1 to 4. And what's interesting is this is not a direct prophecy of like, uh, you know, I think that the uh, Buffalo Bills are going to win this weekend by 24 points. And so that happens. It's not that kind of prophecy. It's not just like fortune telling that we're seeing here. But what Matthew is actually highlighting is the way that the narratives, the story arc that we see in Hosea and in the Old Testament is completed in Jesus and how it was ultimately pointing to him. So it's not like a straight up prediction of like, okay, yeah, this is what's going to happen. But it's saying, but it's pulling from the scripture in this passage and this other story in the Old Testament and showing, look, see how Jesus fulfills the idea and the narrative story components of this. 
And Hosea, it says, when Israel was a child, it's talking about the nation of Israel here. And what we see throughout the New Testament is that Jesus is the new Israel. He's a representative of the nation in human form. It says, when Israel was a child, I loved him. This is God speaking about his chosen people. And it says, out of Egypt, I called my son. This is the part that Matthew quotes, but it goes on. It says, but the more they were called, the more they went away from me. They sacrificed the balls, which is like another uh, god, another not real god, but another god that people worshipped, and they burned incense to images. It was I who taught Ephraim to walk, taking them by the arms, but they did not realize it was I who healed them. Wow, God is good even when we don't realize that it's Him working in our lives. It says, I led them with cords of human kindness, with ties of love. To them, I was like one who lifts a little child to the cheek, and I bent down to feed them. See what we see in this passage in Hosea and what's being alluded to by Jesus being the one who comes out of Egypt and Matthew highlighting this point is that Jesus is the fulfillment of what Israel was meant to be. See what we see, what we learn about God as we immerse ourselves in this story is that God loves us despite our brokenness. God loves us despite our brokenness. See, God calls us, but, the, but it says here, the more he calls, the more that the people turned away. God calls us. He's given us so much beauty and goodness in the world. I think like every beautiful and good thing is from God. A beautiful sunrise, uh, uh, you know, a tree in bloom, uh, a pretty snowfall, the love of a friend or a family member, the love of a child. All of these things come from God. All beauty and justice and perfection is from Him. But despite of the ways that He calls us in the natural and in the world, despite the ways that He calls us through Scripture and through His Word that's been revealed, despite the ways that He calls us through others in our lives who believe in Him and have the Holy Spirit, God inside of them working through them, we continue to turn away. The Israelite people continued to turn away. And so what we see here is that God loves us, that he calls, but even though he calls, humanity in our brokenness, in our sinfulness, in our evil, in our hurt, and our separation from God, we continue to push away. We don't want the rules. We want to define ourselves. We want to find our own identity. We want to figure out who we are, and we push ourselves away from who God is. I kind of like imagine God calling us continually, like when I was a little kid. I was like really extroverted, uh, which I'm actually like super introverted now. So it's kind of weird how that happens. Uh, I was really extroverted. And I remember that this was like back when like people still used home phones. So I feel like there's like everybody in our evening service is like, I have no idea what you're talking about. Like you've already lost me. Um, but I would like grab my home phone. It was cordless by this time. So it was like peak technology. And I had a recipe card, like a physical piece of card paper where I had all my friends' phone numbers written down, all my friends' home phone numbers. And I would call all of my friends. And I remember like days where I would go through the list, like the front of the card, and then I'd flip it over. I'd get to the friends that I didn't really like on the back of the card. And I was just so desperate to hang out with anybody or see anybody. I would call through that. Then I'd flip it back over. I'd call the friends on the front again because I was just so desperate to talk to someone. And for me, that continual calling came out of a place of insecurity and brokenness, of not being comfortable with myself, of feeling the need to be validated by spending time with others. But from, for God, what we see about his character is that his continual calling to us comes out of his perfect love, knowing that the only way we can find true satisfaction is in him as our creator and finding our purpose in him. See, when 
When we walked away, he persisted sending Jesus. When we stepped away from him, when we continued to not answer that call, he continued to love us, sending Jesus. And even before that, it talks about here how he continued to taught Ephraim to walk. Even though they didn't realize it, he healed them. He showed them kindness and love. It was like one who lifts a little child's cheek. And I just want to encourage you today as you're tuning in here, maybe you've had moments and experiences in life where you've been frustrated or hurt or broken. Maybe you've had moments and experiences where you feel like God isn't with you. Or maybe you don't even believe in God at all yet. But you've had moments of beauty and love and healing in your life. I want to encourage you that that was probably God working even when you didn't realize it. It was God working even when you didn't realize it. Working in your situation in spite of our brokenness, in spite of the evil that we've done to others, the anger, frustration, and hurt we've carried in our hearts, our self-centeredness, our meanness, our I-miss, I guess, if you want to call it that. Um, all of these different things, God continues to love us, pursue us, and show us kindness. God loves us despite our brokenness. Then we move on. We get to this next section that's really sad where we see Herod killing these young children. And it says, A voice was heard in Ramah, weeping in great mourning, Rachel weeping for her children and refusing to be comforted because they are no more. And Matthew says that was a prophecy that the prophet Jeremiah said that was fulfilled. And if we go there, we go to Jeremiah 31, 15 to 17. It says exactly that. A voice is heard in Ramah, a mourning and great weeping, Rachel weeping for her children and refusing to be comforted because they are no more. And what we see here is, is this uh, uh, time when, when the Israelites were, be, were being taken over and subdued by another nation, which was actually a correction from God as they'd walked away out of unfaithfulness from him. And, and it was God working through this evil nation. And you see that there's this um, sadness and this brokenness and this tragedy. But what Jeremiah goes on to say is God continues to speak through him. It says, restrain your voice from weeping and your eyes from tears. For your work will be rewarded, declares the Lord. They will return from the land of the enemy. So there is hope for your descendants, declares the Lord. Your children will return to their own land. See, God gives us hope in the midst of a broken world. He gives us hope in the midst of a broken world. The world contains evil. It contains suffering. I think we can look at this story of Herod killing these babies and be like, oh, that was a totally different time in the ancient Near East, whatever. But honestly, stuff like this is still happening. There's still genocide. There's still the murder of innocent children and babies. There's still oppression and suffering and abuse of power and these human tendencies to try and protect ourselves and, 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 not, and, you know, and not, not have others steal our spotlight or others steal our power or others steal our influence. There's still this frustration and this deep brokenness inside of us that causes us to lash out and hurt others, sometimes in small ways, sometimes in ways that feel insignificant, that little white lie, that little gossip about your coworker, that little moment of complaining about your boss and tearing them down to somebody else out of anger and frustration. That little moment of uh, you know, not feeling satisfied with your spouse and just letting your eyes wander onto somebody else or something online. These little things that might not feel as evil as what Herod is doing, but still represent that same brokenheartedness inside of us. That same evil that so many of us as humans carry, that all of us as humans carry and have within us that God seeks to wipe out. But what we see here is there's a message of hope. See, even in the midst of the evil of the world, even in the midst of our frustration, even in us looking around and saying, man, what's going on with Omicron? What's going on with the government? 
What's going on with people who uh, uh, don't want to get vaccine, the vaccine? What's going on with people who are saying that I have to get the vaccine? Wherever we land on some of this stuff, as we look around in the world, as we deal with mental health struggles and the weight of being in this pandemic and, and having so much up in the air for so many years, as, as so many in our community deal with coming out of an exam season and the frustration and, and pain and kind of uh, uh, challenges that can come with that, as we deal with navigating corporate worlds and working and providing for our families and all these different things, uh, relationships, all of it, even in the midst of darkness, what we see here is that there is hope. It says they will return from the land of the enemy. It says restrain your voices from weeping and your eyes from tears. And Matthew references this because Jesus is that hope. He is the one that God sent. He is the ultimate fulfillment saying that yes, there is tragedy. Yes, in the face of stark evil, in the stark brokenness uh, in the world, God is still good. He still loves us. And ultimately in eternity, there is a hope in him. And last week we get to this prophecy that honestly is the hardest one to talk about because it's the least clear. And this is tough because we're going verse by verse and line by line through these scriptures. And I don't want to have to end on this or talk about it because it doesn't fit as well narratively with, you know, the message and all of that because it's not like the other two. The other two, it's like clearly like, hey, all right, this is where this is pulled from that Matthew's talking and we can just unpack it. But this last one is where it says, so what was so was fulfilled what was said through the prophets that he would be called a Nazarene. There's no direct line given as like this is where it was said or who said it or exactly what it's referring to. And to be honest, as we look at it today, we're not 100% sure what Matthew was talking about. What we know is that this book was verified by the original audience, that it was uh, instrumental in spreading the good news of Jesus, that it was um, uh, uh, defined by the Holy Spirit through the early church fathers to be uh, um, um, actually a, a scripture for us, a God-inspired text. Um, but what we don't know is actually what exactly Matthew is talking about. We have a couple guesses. A couple are wordplay based, um, which kind of like fits into my theory that Matthew is just a really good MC. He's just like basically like the Jay-Z of his time. Um, but it says, uh, there's one that's like, it could be based off of nezer, which is a word that could have meant something like root or shoot. And this idea, this prophecy in the Old Testament that there's going to be a stump where the kings of old, the kings of the Old Testament of the Hebrew people have been cut off. The line had been ended, but there's a shoot, a, a, a spring of new life coming out of that stump that would return to the glory of the kingdom that had been seen that was going to be even greater. That's one. Another wordplay one is that Nazarene kind of is like Nazarite, which is a type of vow that was taken by Hebrew men that included uh, 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 not drinking any wine or drinks from grapes, not cutting their hair, and not touching anyone or anything that would make you unclean, which is really interesting if he's referring to that because Jesus did all of those things. Um, and specifically, it fits in with this idea of Jesus' message that it's about heart transformation and not about what we do um, uh, as, as much. Like what we do is a result of our heart transformation. It's not about like taking a certain oath and consecrating ourselves in a certain way that we find God and have relationship with him. And lastly, it could just be a general reference to the obscurity that was prophesied about the Messiah. Jesus would later be uh, become to known as Jesus the Nazarene. And some of his followers would be called Nazarenes or Nazar yeah, Nazarenes. And that is considered to be the fulfillment of the prophecy that this Messiah who is coming would be detested and not looked upon because saying you're from Nazareth was kind of a diss. 
be a little bit like when I tell people I'm from Brantford, it's like, oh yeah, that's pretty sketchy. That's a dirty place. Nazareth was kind of seen as this, you know, backwater, kind of dirty, kind of sketchy place uh, that Jesus came from. So while we're not totally sure like what is exactly being referred to by Matthew here, what's really cool is we can look at actually all three of these different like potential uh, uh, what he was referring to and realize that all of them are actually true about who Jesus is. And as we immerse ourselves in this story today, as we center ourselves around Jesus' story and truly celebrate him this Christmas season, I think we can learn a bit more about him from each of these possible uh, things that Matthew was talking about. We can see that he was the root that came out of the stump. He was the continuation of the royal line, but not just the continuation. He was the completion, the true and perfect king that made up for all the imperfect kings that came before. The one who could actually bring us real peace and real justice. The ruler that we all actually crave and desire when we look towards leaders who are human. We can see that he is actually the, uh, the ultimate uh, uh, Nazarite. He is like the, the fulfillment of this idea of consecration, of people doing things outwardly to try and reflect what was happening internally. But when Jesus came, he flipped it around and said, hey, I'm going to fulfill this by transforming who you are from the inside out. You don't have to do these different things to consecrate yourselves to be close to me. I am reaching out to you through Jesus, and I am going to make you whole through my power. And finally, we see that Jesus contrasts himself with the powers of the world. He contrasts himself with Herod the Great, this great builder who built all this different stuff and had all this worldly power and ambition. He contrasts himself by not just coming as a baby who had to flee, but by actually being a Nazarene, one that was looked down upon, who was thought of as less than, who was thought of as just a nobody from nowhere, who was actually the most important figure in history. So we've unpacked all of this. We've seen the ways that we've looked at the actual story itself. We've seen the story of Jesus and what it meant for him to flee and come back and understood a little bit of the politics that was happening here and the brokenness of humanity we see in Herod. We've unpacked the story underneath the story, the meta-narrative, the larger arc of who God is that we see in Scripture, learning that God loves us despite our brokenness and sinfulness, that God gives us hope in the midst of a broken world, and seeing that Jesus is the ultimate fulfillment of our desires, our desires for leadership, our desires to be close to God, that he makes a way for us that contrasts what we expect out of the world. And ultimately what we see here is a story of human evil and power versus God's grace and true authority. I think for me today, what this brings up inside of me is this need to ask myself, like, who am I trying to be? You know, when I come to the Bible, when I come to church, when I come to community, when I show up tuning in online like this, and I'm saying, hey, what can I get out of this? How can I consume? I just had a great day yesterday consuming, and Christmas is fun. I don't want to like poo-poo Christmas. It's great. But like, how can I consume? How can I get something from Scripture? How can this make me better or look better or be better in the world? I, 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 I just, it's not what the Bible's meant to be, and it leaves us dissatisfied and continuing to feel like we're missing something in our lives. We're heading into the new year. We're probably going to set a lot of goals for ourselves and a lot of challenges. And some of those are good. And I'm, I'm going to be doing that for myself. And I'm sure a lot of people will. And, and I'm sure we're going to encourage it as a church. But if we set these goals and these challenges out of place of just trying to look better or be better or satisfy ourselves or work our way into relationship with God, we are going to fail. 
but it needs to be out of accepting the love that God has for us, acknowledging our brokenness, looking at his story and realizing, hey, when we look at God's story, we actually learn a lot about ourselves. We learn that we are broken. We learn that we do have a capacity for evil inside of us. We learn that it's okay that we're frustrated at a broken world, but there's a greater hope and a greater purpose that we can find in Jesus. And it makes me ask myself the question, who am I trying to be going into this new year, coming out of Christmas, Who am I trying to be? Where am I placing my identity? Where am I placing my hope? When I look around the world, am I seeing myself as the main character or am I living life with an awe and a reverence for God? Am I seeing him around every corner? Am I seeing him in the beauty? Am I seeing him in the celebration? Am I seeing him in the wonder of getting to eat good food with good friends, of being able to be generous and give gifts to others? Am I seeing him in in the songs that we sing and the ways that we glorify him over this season? Or am I just seeing something to satisfy myself? And my encouragement to us today as we walk away from this message is to actually just continue to meditate on who God is, to continue to reflect on his love and his glory for us, to allow this morning to be a moment where we can actually lean into him, lean into his love, move away from just looking at ourselves and say, I'm going to center myself around the king, the one true God who loves me despite my brokenness. I don't need to be fearful or worried about the mistakes that I've made, but I can come before him right now. I can accept his love. I can re-surrender before him and know that he is going to move in my life today and into the new year, into 2022, no matter what happens. If you're here today and you want to make, and you're tuning in and you don't know Jesus, you don't follow him, you've never made a decision to follow him, I just want to give you that opportunity. You know, we believe that when you make a decision to follow Jesus, to accept the gift that he's given us by dying on the cross and taking on the punishment we deserve and then rising again, defeating death, that we actually get to enter into this new kingdom with him and new life with him, that we are regenerated from the inside out. And it's a process that takes time. It doesn't happen overnight. It's actually going to be at work for the rest of our lives and then into eternity. But we believe that when we make this decision to follow Jesus, we are saved from ourselves, from our own brokenness and despair, and that we have a hope for eternity that we're going to spend it with Jesus. So if you're tuning in and you want to make that decision, I just want to give you an opportunity right now. There's going to be a button coming up in the chat that you can click that says you raise your hand. It was just a way of declaring like, yes, I'm going to make this decision. And I would encourage you as well, if you're making this decision, just raise your hand physically wherever you are. Put it up just for yourself just so that you can be like, hey, yeah, I'm making this choice. I'm going to follow Jesus. This is something that I'm choosing. If that's you today, I wanna pray with you, and then I wanna encourage you to get connected. Tell somebody who invited you out or who you know know, follows Jesus that you made this decision. Fill out one of our connect cards. This is the beginning of a journey that we wanna come alongside you and support you through. Let's pray. God, I just thank you for everybody who's made a decision to follow you today. I just thank you for the love that you show to us. I just thank you that you care so much about us, that even when we struggle with our identity, when we struggle to understand who we are and who we're meant to be, Lord God, that we can immerse ourselves in your story and find hope in the face of evil, hope in the face of our own failures, and hope in the face of a broken world. I just thank you so much for anybody who's made this decision to follow you today, Lord God, who's declaring, yes, I am following Jesus. I'm go- I want to have a relationship with you. I want to accept this gift of salvation, of being saved from myself, and that I trust that I- you're going to continue this work in me from now and into eternity. 
I pray for these people, Lord God, that you would bless them, that they would just have your Holy Spirit revealed to them, Lord God, they would know that you are with them, that you would put the right people alongside them to coach them and encourage them and support them as they live this out. Pray this in your name. And everybody said, amen. Amen. Hey, if you're tuning in live right now, let's celebrate this in the chat. Let's put some party hats. Let's put a little woo-woo. Let's do a little clap hands emojis. Um, this is honestly the best decision anyone can ever make. Uh, and we are just so thankful that you made this decision. So excited for you. We want to celebrate with you. So again, fill out that connect card. Tell somebody it's the most important step. I just want to take a moment right now as well and pray for anybody like myself who just needs to resurrender. He needs to say, dang, I've been thinking way too much about Imus and not enough about Christmas. I've been thinking way too much about myself and not centering my life and my perspective on the story of who Jesus is, on the truth of God, that he loves me in spite of my brokenness, that he has hope for me in spite of the evil in this world, and that he is the true king. So we're gonna take a minute right now and we're just gonna pray together and use this moment as an opportunity to re-surrender, to say, God, I'm here before you. I'm centering myself on you. You are the only thing I need. Let's pray. God, I just thank you right now for the love that you have for me. God, I don't deserve it. Not at all. But Lord, I just thank you that you continue to love me anyways. That you continue to give me opportunities. You continue to work in me and honestly reshape my desires, reshape my wants, reshape my needs, change my perspective and how I'm making decisions and how I'm moving through this life, Lord God, as you continue to grab a deeper hold of my heart. And I just pray right now for anybody praying this prayer alongside me, Lord God, that you would just continue to transform us, that we would just be able to immerse ourselves in your story, that we just glorify you and thank you that you are good, that you are loving, that there is hope for us in you, Lord God. I thank you that you sent your son Jesus and the sacrifice that was made for us, God. And I just pray right now that we could just continue to lean into this, lean into this truth, lean into this hope, and let it transform us inside and out. Whether we've heard the story a million times, Lord God, or this is our first time hearing it today, Lord. You are moving through, through, through this breakdown of your word and what you're speaking, Lord God. You are present wherever we're tuning in from, Lord Jesus. So I just pray right now that you would continue to transform us, that you would shape us, that you would move us closer to you, Lord. And this could just be a moment of surrender, a moment of laying down ourselves, of laying down our own desires, our own wants, our own selfishness, Lord God, and just declaring, God, we wanna see you move in our lives, move through us, move in us, transform our interactions, transform our desires and how we interact with others. Pray this in your name. Amen. Thanks again for listening to our Sunday podcast. To hear more messages like these, be sure to share and subscribe. We're thankful for all that God is doing in our church right now. We would love to have you be a part of what is going on. You can connect with us by filling out a connect card online at slatechurch.com. And hey, stay tuned for more content coming soon.